Good day. Welcome to the Corey Morgan Show. This is the Western Standards weekly show where I get to get on and rant and complain about what's got me wound up. Once in a while, I point out some solutions to things. I'm more of a problem sort of guy, though. And of course, our governments at all levels always provide me lots of fodder to go on about. My name is Corey Morgan, of course, as per the name of the show. And uh, looking forward to turning your ear for this next 45 minutes to an hour or so. For those watching live, I'd like to remind everybody, Make use of the comment scroll, even Freedom Honey. I could allow that sort of thing going on in there. He's actually a representative of uh, one of the guests I got coming on. We just got to make sure to keep it uh, civil, but I like seeing the discourse, the discussion. And if you're watching the recorded version, I still quite appreciate it, of course, but uh, the comments won't apply to you. So, yes, I'm... Uh, Got a lot to cover. I've got a guest coming on. He's a writer and he runs Freedom Honey. I didn't think to ask how to pronounce his last name. So I know him as Mike from Freedom Honey. And I believe his last name is uh, Miller. Miller. Oh, God, I don't know. I'm terrible with names. He can let me know once he gets in here, I'm sure. So we're going to chat with him for a little while about some veterans issues and things like that. When he gets in, it is that time Remembrance Day is approaching. I see some of the folks otherwise checking in. Mr. Stanley is present, as are others. So thanks for joining. So I'm going to start off with what's got me wound up this week. And that's uh, Jordan pronouncing, or uh, correcting me on the pronunciation, uh, Mayur. Okay, thank you. So you see, that's the nice things of a live show. I'll get some people fixing some things up. Of course, I wouldn't screw up in the first place if I could cover it up with a retake. All right, let's talk about this week's news and then talk about a little history to start it off with. So in Canada's 1980 federal election, there's a liberal strategist named Keith Davey, and he coined the phrase, screw the West, we'll take the rest. It was a blunt way of stating what is the most effective federal political strategy in Canada. You drain resources from Western Canada while pandering to the East for votes. And the, the tactic worked like a charm. Pierre Trudeau won a majority government over the hapless Joe Clark. Now, Justin Trudeau. He's taken Davies' advice, at least the first part of it, to heart. He never hesitates to screw the West at every possible opportunity. He's having a hard time, though, with the other part, which is taking the rest, as his polling numbers continue their free fall into record low territory for the Liberal Party of Canada. So while the strategy of re regional division in federal politics is a pretty sound one, usually it still requires a party leader with a marginal degree of competence. Now, Trudeau's latest move has been his most crass. He suspended the carbon tax applied to people's heating their homes with heating oil. Now, this was almost clever on his part, or whoever his ideas was, as it isn't overtly a regional political play. But in practice, it's very regional. There's only one part of Canada where heating oil is in common use, and it's in the Atlantic provinces. Media politicians and the public caught on to that tactic pretty much immediately. The gross unfairness of the policy was just too much to swallow for provincial leaders, and this is where the fracturing of this country is coming in. Saskatchewan's Premier Scott Moe is saying he's going to uh, outright break the law and have Sask Power, the crown corporation that provides natural gas, that refuse to collect Justin's carbon taxes any longer. Alberta Premier Smith, of course, is threatening further use of the Sovereignty Act unless we get a break on the carbon tax to heat our homes out here in the prairies. It gets pretty cold out here. Even in BC, where it doesn't get as cold, and it's an NDP Premier Eby, he's calling for breaks for his province as well. And Ontario's Premier Doug Ford is actually calling for scrapping the carbon tax altogether, which is what Trudeau should do. Quebec, of course, they already had special status, so they're sitting quietly on the sidelines watching the cracks in national unity widening into fissures under Trudeau's leadership. I mean, they love seeing the unity going down the toilet anyways. I mean, after years of claiming the carbon tax doesn't impact the cost of living for Canadians, 
Trudeau just admitted the tax is causing hardship on people trying to heat their homes, at least in Atlantic Canada. I think we got to heat them out here too. People heating with natural gas. Yes, we will continue to suffer under the carbon tax because that's predominantly Western Canada. At Rural Economic Development Minister Federal One, Goody Hutching, Hutchings, I hope I'm, she deserves her name is pronounced, told CTV, I can tell you that the Liberal Atlantic Caucus was vocal with what they've heard from their constituents and perhaps they need to elect more Liberals in the prairies so we can have that conversation as well. Yeah, and basically putting the guns to our head. It's their way of saying, vote Liberal or we're going to continue to screw you with taxes. Trudeau's always claimed that the climate issue is so important, the carbon tax must remain in order to save the world. If it really has that much benefit upon the environment, though, how could he possibly reverse even a portion of such an important tax? I mean, won't some fuzzy bunnies die somewhere because the temperature went up now? Unchecked inflation. That's dogged the Liberal government since, uh, well, since, since the pandemic. And now the head of the Bank of Canada has admitted the carbon tax alone is responsible for 16% of the inflation. Now, whatever little credibility Trudeau might have had on the carbon tax, it's, it's in tatters. The tax survived court challenges due to its apparent world-saving nature. But now how can you go to court and say, well, it's there to save the world, but we'll selectively apply it here, there, and everywhere. Now, something interesting is seeing the sharks within the Liberal Party. They're starting to circle. Heir apparent Mark Carney, he came out to speak on how he kind of respects Trudeau's work on the climate but he would do things differently on the carbon tax. It's a subtle way of doing it, but his words are starting to take on the tone of a leadership contender. Others are going to come out of the woodwork as an unofficial leadership campaign begins to develop. But will Trudeau get it? Can he get it? Does he really think if he just pounds on the West hard enough, his political fortunes will change? I mean, ignoring the spirit of the Supreme Court ruling that found most of his no more pipelines bill to be unconstitutional didn't win him any support in the East anyways, and it just infuriated the West further and made him look all the more inept with his policy development. If and when Trudeau reads the writing on the wall, what is he going to do on the way out the door, though? He desperately wants to have a legacy as a climate crusader, and he's always seen Western Canadian industries as his biggest enemy on that front. He wants to finish what his dad did and shut down the West. Will he make one more guy, you know, effort to crush the West, whether out of spite or misguided idealism? I wouldn't put it beyond him. Trudeau's already proven his pet climate project is more important than national unity. The fractions, fractures he's creating within the country could lead to a full shattering of the nation. I don't know. Even changing leaders, it probably won't change things. But people better start paying attention, <laughs> people in the East, because you're the ones who put them there. And if you want unity in this country, you are not going to get it as long as that ass clown is our prime minister. All right. That's what's got me wound up today to start things off and kick them off. Let's see what else is happening out there. I know it's crazy busy news uh, stuff going on out there. We'll check in with our news Editor Dave Naylor in the newsroom. Hey, Dave, how's it going? Hey, good, Corey. Uh, what did you go out uh, dressed as last night? Uh, I hid within my home with the lights turned out, you know, one of those uh, 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 grumpy folks who just uh, hides from the children. It's, it's better for the world that I stay inside. Yeah, you know, especially with all those bears and cougars around your compound, uh, you know, it would be happy hunting season for the, uh, for the bears if, uh, if you did. Yeah, true enough. Well, they aren't that afraid of me when I'm dressed as a human. So maybe if I went with an animal outfit, it would uh, fix things up. I'll try that next year, perhaps. Yeah. Well, I'm the same as you, Corey. I hid out at the local pub till about uh, 8.30 and then uh, went home, made sure all the lights were turned out. So, uh, well, we're just a bunch of curmudgeons, eh? eh it gets that way. gets that way. So, uh, yeah, as you said, another busy, uh, busy news morning. Our site right now is leading off with a column from uh, some character called Corey Morgan. Uh, talking about uh, Trudeau's eco-obsession that is uh, shattering uh, uh, Canada. So that's very popular at our site. You'll be uh, pleased to know. 
The Alberta government also this morning updated their uh, insurance uh, reform plan. Uh, basically, if you're a good driver, they're going to limit the uh, the amount that your insurance can go up by by tapping it at uh, 3.7%. We've got a follow on our Linda Slobodian's excellent work on on getting Remembrance Day prayers back allowed. Uh, The government had uh, banned prayers at Remembrance Day uh, uh, last month, believe it or not, and uh, uh, through Linda's work, uh, they seem to have uh, reversed the ban. Uh, So that's good news. So I encourage you to check out the story and, uh, and read her column there. Uh, speaking of Halloween, Corey, and this is where you and I, I think, uh, differ, uh, we've got a piece up there on uh, Justin Trudeau's kid uh, who went out as a decapitated person uh, last night, just two weeks after the Hamas terrorist attack that saw them decapitate babies and, and soldiers uh, and women. Uh, but you sort of took the other stream. You said, hey, it's just Halloween. Give him a break. I thought it was actually a pretty good costume. The, the, the timing, I'm, I'm sure. I, would, I mean, Justin's not a deep thinker. That's that's fair enough. It just never occurred to him that somebody might see it otherwise. And of course, the kid's just being a kid. I don't think there was intent to cause offense at a time like this. Maybe somebody helping him with his Twitter account should have warned him on it. But I, I think we got bigger things to roast Mr. Trudeau over than how his kid was dressed up. And I mean, I, I admit, aside from the timing, that was a pretty cool costume. Yeah, maybe. But timing is everything, as they say in this business, Corey. And uh, Trudeau is getting people angry enough at, uh, as you say, the carbon tax. We've got a Scott uh, story on uh, Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe talking about his disappointment. And the Saskatchewan Energy Minister says uh, he's willing to go to climate jail to, uh, to uh, fight uh, Trudeau and, uh, and the carbon tax. And uh, uh, we've got a, a good story on a former taxman, a, a Canada Revenue Agency employee who conducted a uh, very massive fraud scheme and uh, was claiming benefits for 61 different children, believe it or not, uh, getting hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of, uh, of uh, taxpayers' money. So he's been sentenced to uh, 18 months in jail, so uh, he can try adding up tax returns uh, from the sin bin, Corey. Well, it's good to see somebody finally caught in, in that sort of thing anyways. I mean, we work enough to pay these guys. We don't need other ones uh, dipping into the pool uh, above and beyond our politicians. Exactly. Okay, well, right on, Dave. Uh, and I guess we got the UCP AGM coming up before next week. Uh, the standard will be covering that pretty closely, I imagine. Yeah, it'll be wall-to-wall coverage with our team down there, uh, Jonathan Bradley, Sean Polzer, and uh, uh, Jen Hawkins. So, uh, yeah, tune in during the weekend. We'll have, uh, we'll have uh, live updates. Right on. All right, Dave. Well, I'll leave you back to all those stories. And uh, after the show, I'll come out and argue with you some more about Halloween costumes. Well, I'll look forward to it, Corey. Right on. Thanks, Dave. That is our news editor, Dave Naylor, and yet lots of stories, differences of opinion on things, fair enough, and uh, just all sorts of stuff to cover. I mean, the news moves fast. We've got a news room full of people, as he was mentioning. Uh, The reason we have those folks, guys working hard like Jonathan and Mike and all the rest out there, uh, is because you guys subscribe, and we really appreciate it. It's $9.99 a month. $100 for a year. This is how we stay independent, guys. This is how we pay the bills. This is how we beat the censors and don't have to answer to the federal government. So if you've subscribed already, thank you very much. And if you haven't subscribed yet, get on there, westernstandard.news slash membership. Take out a subscription. It keeps this stuff rolling. It allows us to expand and keep covering these events and uh, doing a better job. And I think we're doing a pretty good job so far. 
but there's always room to improve. I mean, look how terrible the mainstream media is. Come on, you can't even stomach that stuff anymore. At least I can't. Though I still dip in there because I got to see what they're doing. I watch them so you don't have to. And I'll filter through that crap and feed you my filtered interpretation of that crap so you get a, a better uh, showing of it. Good to see some of the other folks checking in. Tiggy saying good morning from BC. And Mr. Stanley, I'll leave your comment out of it, but I appreciate the humor all the same. So, uh, yeah, what else we got going on? Like I said, the AGM, it's a big one. It's a big one. I, I think they're expecting a 3,600 people to come out to that AGM here in Calgary for the United Conservative Party. It will be, I believe, the largest political convention held in Canadian history. Like, we've not had that many people come out to one before. The, the venue is going to be huge. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how they can be productive, how they can get things accomplished with such a large crowd. And, and the cost to attend it was uh, uh, pretty significant. It, it, we were, I think it was like $300 if you didn't get the early bird rate, uh, 150 or 200 if you, if you got the early bird. I'm not sure. But uh, that's a lot of people spending a lot of money and traveling all to Converge in Calgary. And this is between elections, this is post-election. This is usually when you're going into the doldrums of uh, politics. But people are clearly very interested with what's going on there. There's very hotly contested roles for the board of the party. And I know some people are upset because, uh, what, Take Back Alberta has been openly organizing and, and, and saying we want folks to get out and vote for certain folks. But all they're saying is use the system, play it, do what is in front of you if you like. If you don't agree with who uh, is being put forward, you know, again, head on down there and vote otherwise, campaign otherwise, run for it. This is democracy in action. You won't always like the outcome of it. I rarely like the outcome of democratic actions, it seems sometimes, but all the same, participation's the key. So no matter who is behind bringing out such a turnout and, and with the motivation, it's a good sign. The more people that are there, the better the chance some common sense decisions, policies, selections of people in, in positions within the party are going to come out of that exercise this weekend. I'll be going there as well. I'll be observing. I'll be writing columns on it. I'll be doing stuff. Uh, no, I didn't pay that amount. We don't pay that well in the independent media. Luckily, I got in on the media uh, access. Plus, I'm not a party member anyways. I'm just there to uh, critique and watch. And uh, look forward to seeing some of you guys there. Okay, let's get on to my guest. I'm going to slaughter his name one more time since he's here to be able to correct it for me. Uh, Mike Wheeler? Mayor. Mayor. Uh, this is straightforward. From Freedom, honey. I uh, Yes, some of you were on Twitter, X and so on, would know Mike already and Freedom, honey, and your podcast on there at least the voice you tend to keep your face out of it whilst you're cursing and, and going on i think i have a face for radio i think that's the trick oh i don't know you look pretty enough to me i'm sure the fan mail will be coming in soon enough but uh all right all right yeah thanks for having me sure. on the show yeah and i'll give a, i guess a little background it be it being a, a coming up on remembrance day veterans issues are coming to the fore they're always there but this is the time of year when people are paying attention to it and uh, you are a veteran and you work on some veteran initiatives initiatives so i'll kind of let you go from there and expand a bit on that yeah awesome so basically uh i did 12 years service got out of the military bought a farm out in the middle of nowhere and we started this honey operation this was basically just going to be a, a pet project you know kind of a hobby and then we had a lot of support from some of our vet buddies and everything like that so myself and Pedro decided to kind of give back. So originally, whatever we make from the honey, uh, we just donated back to the Veterans Food Bank. But now we've been helping with PTSD. We've been um, advocating for other causes. Uh, we were pretty vocal when it came to uh, the veterans getting kicked, uh, soldiers getting kicked out for um, non-compliance with the vaccine mandate. 
So we kind of fought back with that. Uh, we help promote other veteran businesses and I stir a lot of shit on X. <laughs> That's like a, yourself. Yes, yes, that I do. That's it's my favorite playground. Well, I appreciate it. And creative ways to get out there. I mean, everybody's kind of tapped. There are dozens, hundreds of good causes. There really are everything from animal welfare to Down syndrome society, you name it. Uh, and we all want to help with as many ways as we can. But I think something that helps is something, well, where you get a bit of a product or you get something going. You know, you've got some honey on the go. You've got uh, the, the exercise of, of beekeeping in itself is, provides some therapeutic benefit. Yeah, so it turns out that the, uh, the tone that the bees will vibrate at uh, when they're buzzing is actually it triggers um, some neurons in the brain to actually help with PTSD relief. So what we'll do is we'll get my friends and we'll get guys, we'll get them over to the farm, we'll get them in the suit, and we'll just hang out, do some bee stuff, and drink cheap beer. Generally, I, I mean, it works. Yeah. Speaking of that, I brought you some stuff. Yes. I know you don't, uh, you're not on the sauce anymore, but I figured for the rest of the riffraff around here. Guys, this is Iron Hive Meadery, local Edmonton. They also distribute in Calgary and a few other places. Um, this guy was infantry, started this meadery, um, reached out to us, asked if we could supply them. Sadly, I mean, the, the amount they want is just ridiculous for now. We're kind of in the boutique niche right now. So we're not into massive production. Um, really good stuff. Check them out. Iron Hive, Iron Hive Meadery. Um, 21 locations available in Edmonton, seven in Calgary, and a few other places. So right really good stuff. I'm sure you, I mean, I'm sure the rest of the riffraff here will enjoy this. Oh, probably between now and the pipeline. It'll be consumed pretty quickly afterwards. And just for folks who aren't familiar with the meat, I mean, it's like the oldest form of alcohol. It's a honey-based uh, type of drink. If you don't mean it's, it's honey, it's honey wide, it's honey wine. Yeah. And um, it's really sweet, obviously, but um, I think it's better than wine. Well, and, and it's a veteran initiative, just as, as uh, Freedom Honey. And that's why, you know, I mean, normally we don't let people come in with product plugs, but this is different. This is a veteran uh, business sort of thing that's going on because we're asking for support. So people are looking, veterans come back, they're leaving the service. They have a hard time getting their feet under them sometimes, moving into the, the rest of the world. And business initiatives are another way to to do so. So this meadery, uh, you know, and, and, and type of uh, brewing is, is one of those ways to do it in, in a small business way. And I'm sure they appreciate the plug. But right now, uh, services for vets is it's like pulling teeth. It is a shame. I mean, we're getting close to Remembrance Day. Uh, Christmas time is the worst. Um, there's a the culture has really changed in the military that uh, it's becoming a lot more accepted when it comes to mental health and all this stuff. Uh, the issue is, is once you're out of the army trying to access that care, it's a nightmare. And a lot of guys fall through the cracks and we end up with homeless veterans. We end up with people with um, high suicide rates. And that part is sad. I mean, to bring uh, awareness to the struggles that they're facing. And that's kind of what we help too. I mean, I've had those 3M phone calls of dealing with guys and previous guys that have been under my command. And I just, my heart goes out to them. So if anything I can say, if anybody's out there suffering, um, call. I know it's the hard, most difficult phone call you can ever make, but it, to someone you mean something and the world will miss you. Well, that's it. And, and I mean, Remembrance Day is, is the one time where we're kind of paying attention, recognizing that shortly afterwards comes the Christmas season. And it, if somebody's been disconnected from family or friends or is, is not in a good place, it can actually become a, a more dangerous and, and lonely time for some people when it really should be one of, of celebration. So we shouldn't you know, be forgetting our, our veterans and their needs yeah. at that sort of time. A good way to give back to is to always uh, uh, Edmonton, Calgary, they got phenomenal veterans food banks. Um, they're always looking for volunteers to help with Christmas 
pack, uh, uh, pampers and stuff like that. So if you guys are looking a way to give back, give them give them a shout because I'm sure they'll be more like they'll be more than willing to accept the help. Well, that's something we just as a nation have really fallen badly on for a long time. I won't even fully just blame this government. This has been going on for a long time. We we ask a lot of our our, our service members going overseas I and mean, working domestically. It's not a high paying, uh, easy no. job by any means. Uh, but then when it's finished, we get back. It's kind of well, thanks for your service and, and out the door. As, as Trudeau said. Uh, you know what? We we just uh, we have no more to give along those lines. But he's offering made now. Yeah, the made thing um, that that was something we took hard. Uh, it originally had come out that it was uh, one case worker. Uh, I think they called him like the the merchant of death or something like that. Uh, but no, now it's coming out that there's over twenty that have been offered this this. I, uh, solution and I, and I should expand on not everybody necessarily knows the acronym it's medical assistance and dying yes. so it's saying hey, you call in for help and they offer you an injection yeah the issue is with the i mean the worst part is calling for help calling for va calling any kind of help realizing that there's something wrong and you're calling for help you're at your limit you're you're in a dark place you're probably depressed uh, the world is closing in and it is very easy for someone to push you over that edge and that's where we have such a big problem with this and there's myself and a bunch of other vets and other groups um mark minky from the radio uh from the operation tango romeo podcast shout out to him uh, he's been fighting this case and he was in ottawa testifying on behalf of these people to to bring some light to this because it's an absolute tragedy we don't take we don't take well enough care for our vets the services they say they're out there but accessing them is just far too difficult and we we need to do better as a country. We need to do better as a nation. Well, and, and it's it's unique, I guess. I mean, it's part of the issue is people have never served. I can't pretend to understand it, but if you've come out of that different sort of career in that circumstance, I mean, the transition into the, the working world, aside from, you know, potentially traumatic situations and stress that came from past service, it's just, it's, it's a whole new world of settling in, kind of reinventing yourself and, and it, it needs supports. I mean, if only for our own selfish benefit, if our veterans are settling in well, we're, we're doing better with neighbors and fewer people dependent on social services and things like that. It's an investment to uh, make sure that they can transition into a... Yeah, there's a couple of good organizations. Um, Helmets to Hard Hats is a good example of, of out there to help with transition. Right now, with so many people leaving the military, um, it's 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 busy and you know there's always vets looking for work i mean on myself i get calls all the time asking hey do you know who's hiring and stuff like that um and i'm talking about these are these are good guys these are the good men and women these are the people that generally you want to hire they'll show up to time they'll they'll um they'll be clean they'll be sober um they'll do a good job and they have that discipline uh, i myself and our company not including uh, my day job we we hire predominantly vets and then my my employees have no issues with that and they generally worked out so I, I mean you're still in touch i imagine with a lot of people who are currently serving as well i mean that's that's been in the news a lot as well i mean it's bad enough we're not taking care of our vets when they're out of the service but it sounds like we're not taking very good care of them in the service right now either there's vets right now sleeping in their cars the cost of living has gotten so high and they pay hasn't been able to keep up that in some of the big cities vancouver toronto i mean we've got guys literally sleeping in their cars while still serving while still serving getting up putting their uniform on going to work going back to the car yeah. and it's a it's terrible we we don't uh the culture itself has changed drastically um going to be more uh inclusive and diverse and they, they just um 
I won't say it's making a toxic work environment. It's just, it's changing their, their priorities. And a lot of guys feel that way and they reach out and they talk. They're like, man, is this, is it, is it a big change? Yeah, well, in morale, I imagine, I mean, well, with any job, it's important, but it, it critical in the case of a, a service member, if you're going to put them into a dangerous situation overseas or the world's getting crazy enough, we might be having dangerous situations here in Canada pretty soon. Uh, you want your service members to be feeling good about what they're doing and, and dedicated to the job uh, before putting going into such a, a circumstance, because, I mean, they're, they're not going to necessarily be able to do their job very well if they're sour on the entire affair at the time. No, with that, I think it's just a matter of um, the culture has gone swung one way so much that I think we need to come back to the grassroots, kind of what, what the Army, what our main core values are, um, what our main mission and objectives are. That's helping domestic, helping overseas, and kind of reinforcing that set of values. Uh, we, It's gone so, I mean, it's gone so far to the left that we... I mean, you just hear the stories and people are frustrated and people are upset. And that's why you see so because of the because of that culture shift. That's why you see so many people leaving right now. That's why our troop numbers have been decimated. So that I don't even think we're an effective force anymore. Well, it doesn't look appealing for new people considering a career and moving into it. I mean, when you hear about how it's going, it's it's, it's tragic because we need it. We, we have to have this. It was the best decision I ever made in my life. I got out at a really good time. And since then, just being able to help the guys transition and bring them into the civilian world and helping and helping them out and stuff like that. I mean, it means a lot to me. It means a lot to my business partner, Pedro. But at least we can we can be there to help guide people. So going further, I'll go a little more into the beekeeping. Since again, I keep my bees, I enjoy them and so on. I mean, just as a uh, a hobby for veterans or anybody like, like that's what I find as well. It's relaxing. It's a, a nice hobby getting in there. I mean, you're showing some of your videos, you know, when, when you're not big and wise about it, you can do some cursing and get a odd sting here and there, but, but they're not, uh, they're not hornets. They're, they're actually quite uh, uh, gentle bugs. If you've treated them they, right. They are soothing. There's actually a lot of therapeutic benefit to it. And I recommend it to anybody, everybody mm -hmm. that wants to set up a little hive. I mean, it's not too much money to get into uh, go outside. It really grounds you. You got to stay calm when you're working with them. And it's, it's, it's very, very, very uh, therapeutic. Um, I myself am allergic, so I always got that added level of danger. Your hand swelled up quite. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting five days of injections. Last time I got stung pretty good, but normally Pedro gets stung, so yeah. I, we're fine. We'll leave it to him to, to take it's, it on. Exactly. Yeah, I get stung the odd time. Luckily, it doesn't impact me except I run around like a little girl because I'm still a wimp when it comes to stinging insects. It's when you get them in the suit, you run. Yeah, well, I saw a great meme with that. It showed something like, you know, uh, the alien when the mouth is coming out of the other mouth. And just as that moment when you realize that the bee on your veil isn't on the outside, it's on the inside. Uh, says, oh, shit. Why you <laughs> yeah, exactly. All, all rules are, are gone out the window when that happens. <laughs> no. and I'm, I'm flailing around. It's Yeah. Well, you see some of those people. There's, there's that uh, gal down in Texas, you know, barehandedly scoops them out. with. Yeah, no she's gear. a hero. I'm not doing that. No, either am I. So, but there's all sorts of levels in between. Just letting people know if they're considering it too. I mean, you get suited up, you stay calm. Even a wimp like me can pull it off. Like it's yeah. it's not a high risk hobby. No. Two hundred bucks. You're helping the environment because everybody needs to remember: if they go, we're going with them. Yeah. Well, and, so. and those things produce. Holy cow! You run a hive well. I mean, one hive can make eighty to hundred pounds of honey in a year that you can take if it's a developed hive. And uh -huh. assuming you're leaving enough for the girls for the winter. Yeah. Um, 
it's uh, it's definitely more that I can consume. So I mean, yeah. people are getting pretty good Christmas presents this year. Well, that's it. If you're doing it as a hobbyist, you know, for your friends and family, there you go. Jars of honey. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the beauty of it too. It's not like a big processing thing when it's done or anything. You're just taking it out, spinning it, straining it, and it's ready to roll. I don't know. Your your extractor looked like it came out of an antique mall. <laughs> it was an antique, but it worked. I never said it didn't, but it looked like it came out of Antique Mall. <laughs> That's right. Uh, us, we have a we got a we got a couple hundred bucks from work for uh, exercise equipment, so we just yeah. took an old tractor, hooked it up to a V belt, and running off that. Uh, sorry, an old treadmill, and we run it off that. Yeah, I, I saw that. Yeah, you can get creative, uh, as my wife would attest. I'm mechanically uh, um, special. I just take mine to hill climb, and we're fine. <laughs> I need something where I can just turn a handle and, and open the bottom, and that's what it did. But again, there's all those different levels. It depends on how involved you want to get in the hobby. Is I it. think everybody should start a hobby. Yes, <laughs> and this is a good one. It's wonderful, and I'm, I'm happy I do it, and I'm happy we can give back, and we can help out and stuff like that, and it's just it's one other episode. It's one other adventure. I mean, if you guys want to check us out, you guys can check us out on X at at Live Free Honey, Freedom Honey 2.0 is what we go by. Twitter didn't like our last page, but that's a different story. Uh, Facebook, Freedom Honey, and keep following us, supporting us on our amateur beekeeping adventure because uh, it gets pretty spicy sometimes. Yeah, no, you're, you're less restrained on, on X and on Facebook, as am I, and, and other things. And I mean, you can have fun while you're at it too. That, that's part of the whole thing. And I just think it's great. You know, initiatives, creative initiatives, something different to, to help with a good cause and, and just uh, spread that word. So hopefully more people uh, get involved and get supportive with it. So uh, yeah, I will awesome. leave it at that. I thank you very much for coming in. I know you got to run up to BC and do some work here right away. So. Yeah, day jobs are calling. Anyway, thanks for having me on. Oh. That was nice to meet everybody. I really appreciate appreciate the work you do, and I, I appreciate your service. Uh, thank you. It's yeah, not enough people show the appreciation. I'm not going to throw any money or anything, but I, that's fine. I will send the thanks for uh, standing up for us. I'll send you a Christmas card. How's that? Excellent. My, that's great. <laughs> All, right. All right. So we will talk again soon. I'm sure. That was Mike from Freedom Honey. Just look them up, guys. Get on X. Get on Facebook. Maybe they'll get themselves a website going eventually. Who knows? He doesn't look enthusiastic about it. But all the same, it's a, it's just fantastic. I like seeing creative things. Like I said, it's important to give things out to causes, but it's also better when you see it integrated with a product or, uh, in this case, an activity as well. Get soothing. Get out there and spend some time with those bees. Uh it's this uh, Wild Nature Farm saying, better go finish the extra feed for my bees. Uh, if you're warm enough to manage to squeeze it in. I've been too worried. I, I stopped feeding uh, a couple weeks ago down in the valley. I mean, it gets too cold at night. And yes, folks, you, you do feed the bees at certain times and, and things like that to keep going. As is the, there's a lot to the hobby. It's not terribly complicated. It's not that hard. But there is some to it. The thing I like about it as well, if you get into it, it's not like uh, other forms of livestock or even keeping dogs and cats. If, if it's midsummer and you want to take off for a week or two, you can leave them for a week or two. They should be fine. In wintertime, if you winterized your hive right, done your work and everything, you don't have to do anything with them for months. Leave them alone. They will take care of themselves. So it's not quite the commitment that uh, some of the other things out there in, in, in uh, agriculture, I guess you could say, are, are you know, demand of you. And a lot of people are getting into it in the city. Uh, the only thing I would counsel again, like check your local rules, check with your neighbors. If you've got a neighbor who's got a couple of children who were very, uh, you know, seriously allergic to bee stings or things like that, might not be appropriate. But most often, if you've got good neighbors and you communicate, you can do it right in the city. Uh, there's a friend of mine, Lotfi, he's right out uh, down south Calgary, and uh, he's raising bees right in his backyard. It's going great. All right. So, yes, check them out, guys. Freedom, honey. That was a good talk. All right. Let's talk about some other things. This popped up. You know, Arthur Green used to be with us. He got scooped up by a uh, 
competing employer, I'll put it as that, as he uh, made him an offer he couldn't refuse. So he's, he's no longer been writing for us, but he's still active out there and things. And those who remember Arthur Green, you know, he's the, our great goofy noofy. He um, would get out there on the Edmonton Transit and take pictures of just how bad it's gotten, how far it's fallen, the, the amount of addiction, the amount of crime, the amount of mess. And he very much embarrassed a lot of uh, the Edmonton Council on that. You know, in Calgary, they'd get upset with me for doing the same thing. I didn't do it as thoroughly as Arthur, but keep putting those pictures out there because people who don't ride the train, people who don't go downtown, don't necessarily see how bad the addiction problem is, how badly the enablement cult has failed, you know, by saying, oh, we'll just let them ride the trains and let them use them as, as rolling safe consumption sites. It's not safe for the consumer of these drugs, nor for the poor people who are trying to commute uh, to and from work or school or the grocery store or whatever they're doing on public transit. So either way, Edmonton has this press release they put out and it was put out on X though, a part on the top, which was basically saying media shall not go onto any uh, transit property, uh, ETS, Edmonton Transit Services property, without checking in with them first, letting them know, giving them at least 24 hours notice. And of course they're only open nine to five or something like that. And they are not to go on any property, including trains or buses or stations, and do any um, uh, reporting, taking pictures, taking video. Really? How about this? Kiss my butt. That is so far and beyond the pale on uh, offending free press, you guys. Who do you think you are? Are. And we know that's a response to Arthur's. He embarrassed them too much. He exposed what they didn't want to talk about. Well, too damn bad. Fix your problems before trying to threaten media and tell them where they can or cannot report. And uh, as Angry Canadian, one of the commenters said, good luck enforcing that. Yeah, I know. I think it's a bluff on their part. I mean, really, what are, what are you going to, because I, if I get to Edmonton, I think I'll just have to go out there and take some pictures. Don't worry, guys. I'll throw it out on X and let you know I'm going to do it. And I'll get on the train and I'll take some shots and take some video. I'd love to, uh, I had a recommendation for somebody to do a live show from the train. That might be a little hard, you know, when you're getting attacked by the, the roaming addicts. But all the same, who are you to tell me? And what would you charge me with? If I bought my ticket to ride the train, who are you to stop me? And what are you going to charge me with? Reporting in a public place? Good luck with that. I would love to see that in front of a judge. Even the most goofy of Trudeau-esque judges would not convict somebody for reporting in a public place. But it shows the arrogance of bureaucrats. Because I don't think this came from uh, the... Uh, uh, you know, the, the ranks of elected officials in Edmonton, though they get some pretty goofy city councillors and certainly a mayor who's out to lunch. Calgary's got similar. No, this came from the bureaucracy and the transit service. This came from the pointy-headed bureaucrats, the ones you never hear about, but they're still making six-figure incomes to come up with stupid crap and mismanage a large system. And Edmonton's LRT system is a gong show. But, uh, but Mr. Stanley says, yuck to kissing my butt. Well, you don't have to kiss it. But, uh, you know, it's a recommendation for those who want to tell me where and when uh, people in any form of media, whether you like that form of media or not, may or may not report. Free press is essential. It's integral to any democracy. So, in, you know, instead of trying to threaten to uh, crack down on reporters who dare go on public transit, just fix your mess, you clowns, because that shows the other aspect of bureaucrats and government and, and, and people like that. They don't want to go to the trouble of fixing their problem. They don't even like admitting they have problems. They'd rather cover it up.
They'd rather hide it. They'd rather try to stop us from reporting on it. Well, I'll, I'll make it pretty clear to you guys. No, it's not going to work. We're going to keep reporting on it. So just fix it. It'll make it easier for all of us. Uh, one more commenter saying, is the Western Standard looking for a Calgary reporter? Has a friend who might be interested? Uh, for anybody, you know, email. I think info at westernstandard.news might be the best one for it. Or look on the site. I, I know jobs have been posted in the past when they're up. I don't know if there's openings or not. I'm the opinion blowhard, so I don't necessarily know about those parts of the operation. But by all means, you know, the more the better wherever you are in Canada. If you think uh, you might be a fit for the organization or have something to offer, uh, there's nothing to lose in sending in an application. I, uh, aside from that, I don't know what, which openings may or may not be going at any given time. Uh, George Nelson saying he'd be charged with mischief, which is the catch-all card for anyone tell, uh, charged for anyone telling the truth. Yeah, possibly, possibly. I, again, in that case, I find it very difficult to see them managing to get a conviction for it. But, uh, you know, I don't put anything beyond uh, them trying. You know, I really don't. Uh, speaking of trains, and I wrote something on this, and, and I'm going to go on. Uh, about it a little now, and, and there'll be a column sometime later on this, but out of the throne speech in Alberta, the UCP, uh, Daniel Smith, who I think, again, is, is one of the, probably one of the best things to happen in Alberta in a long time. We'll see. Uh, I'm certainly supportive of most of what Premier Smith is doing in the direction she's gone. I certainly respect her as a libertarian, conservative-leaning person, but then when they inserted into the throne speech a plan to look into having a high-speed train between Calgary and Edmonton, Whoa, where on earth did that come from? I mean, it's nothing new. People talk about it every few years or whatever. People talk about all sorts of things every few years. It doesn't mean we put it in the throne speech. High-speed trains fail. They're right up there with universal basic income. They're up there with rent control. They don't work. They don't work in North America. Why are we even considering this? We have so many things going on, so much on our plate, so much to do, and you want to piss around with a high-speed rail boondoggle? It's insane. It's insane. And I, I, I will cover it in the column, too, so I suggest you go online and read it when it comes out, you know, where I give full details, but I give some of the basics, like, look to California. we got a good recent example of it. California, because Premier Smith was on saying, well, we expect Alberta to get up to, you know, nearly 10 million people by 2050. She didn't source how, but okay, fine. Even if we do, if that happens, if our population doubles in that period of time, we got bigger issues to deal with than trains. We're going to need hospitals. We're going to need schools. We're going to need to expand our roadways. And most of all, we're going to need houses, millions of houses. And we don't need to be messing around building a high-speed train that nobody asked for, aside from small lobby groups, and nobody can afford. So look to California. They've got almost 40 million people, you know? So four times, this is currently four times what uh, Premier Smith thinks Alberta will have if and when we get this train going. Now, they started their high-speed rail project back in 2008. It's been 15 years. They've barely broken ground on it. Their project was supposed to be finished at a cost of, uh, and again, I'd have to look to my own column to see the exact numbers. I believe it was in the realm of $30 billion, and it was supposed to be done by 2020. They got none of it done yet. They got a 170-mile stretch they've decided to focus on, which they think might be done by 2030 now. And it's going to come in around $130 billion. Whoa, for what? And this is higher density area. This is a bigger population. 
and it's not feasible there. There's no bloody way it would be feasible here. Can you imagine the fun of trying to buy the property required for the right-of-ways along the highway to get such a train going? Can you imagine the ticket prices? I mean, let's say you're going out with a family of four. You're going to see Auntie Margaret up in Edmonton for Thanksgiving. Great. Okay. Well, this train is going to cost 200 bucks a head for tickets, say, unless we want to really soak the taxpayers heavily. Let's assume it's built. So you're going to go to Calgary, I imagine. You're going to park your vehicle somewhere, and let's get real. You're going to pay to park. You and the family are all going to hustle onto this plane, and like a flight and everything, you'll probably want to be there at least half an hour, 45 minutes early. Get on this train, zip you up quickly. You know, So for, let's say it's cheap at $400 each way. Zips up to Red Deer, stops there. Zips up to Edmonton, stops there. Then you rent your car or get your Uber or maybe put on your stab-proof vest and get on Edmonton Transit Service where I'll be taking pictures. And then make your way over to Auntie Margaret's for dinner and then repeat the whole thing on the way back. Or, or, bear with me, you just get in the car and drive there. What do you think is going to happen? What are people going to do? Sure, there's a handful of commuters are going to use a train like that going back and forth. But you know what? Those are the same people that are already doing it with planes because it's going to be about the same price and probably about the same amount of time commitment just to fly there and get yourself a vehicle on the other end. It's just a, a ridiculous, non-starting, expensive boondoggle of a policy that's going to come. And uh, this needs to be nipped in the bud. I do not want to know where it came from. It wasn't anywhere in the campaign platforms. I didn't remember anybody screaming for it at the rallies or, you know, I, I dare them to try and say, oh, people at the doorsteps were saying... Now, I'm not worried about the cost of living. I'm not worried about Ottawa's incursions into Alberta. I'm not worried about my pension plan. What I really want you to do is spend tens of billions of dollars on a high-speed train to Edmonton. Where did you guys get this from? Don't. Get rid of it. Stop it. You've got a lot to focus on, Premier Smith. And again, I'm looking forward to you focusing on those things. And I'm certain you're going to do a magnificent job on those things. But not the bloody train. Cut it out. Focus. Focus. And here's some things to show why it would be a problem as well. Here's some stuff uh, coming out of Ottawa, as always. And uh, the Commons Government Operations Committee said they ordered disclosures of 12 years worth of federal contacts, contracts involving selected suppliers. And this is following testimony from a Quebec subcontractor who said he could prove sweetheart dealing involving bad apples, in his words, uh, in senior ranks of federal public service and favored suppliers. And that's it. And I'm not saying the Smith government's corrupt. But what I'm saying, when you get these mega projects, you get these multi-billion dollar contracts, uh, projects, and you start getting hundreds or thousands of bureaucrats involved, and you start getting dozens and dozens of contractors, you're going to get problems, and you're probably going to get some corruption going on. It's, it's just a recipe for disaster. Yet here we are looking to, to dip into it. Uh, so this has been going on in Ottawa because, again, they're spending large, large dollars. I mean, look at this one. This is the next story. $8 billion. You know, this was, we talked about this before, but a solar-powered warehouse at, at Rideau, Hall, Rideau Hall. Why? Why did we spend $8 million for a, a warehouse? And nobody can explain that. And then we also find out that this was buried in the Crown Corporation's budget. Yeah, they buried it. They hid it. They tried not to even have it found. So they knew they were doing wrong. Somebody did really well out of that. Come on. Building a barn for $8 million that nobody needed? So again, let's talk about a train for tens of billions of dollars. Do you not think 
The parasites will come out of the woodworks, the crooks, of course they will. You'll do everything you can to try and stop them. You'll do what you can to try and control them, but they will come. They're like flies to poop. When they smell big contracts, big government uh, uh, notions and ideas, where there's a, an opportunity to have some nice little uh, side contracts, they will come. And I'm just floored. I really am. I mean, Premier Smith is so uh, typically you know, grounded, so typically libertarian, so typically small government. And I know she's got a love for trains. The people who are into trains are really, really into trains. Everybody knows a few of them, sure. Uh, and, and Premier Smith and her husband most certainly are. I mean, they owned that uh, Whistle Stop Cafe, not to be mistaken for, for the one owned by uh, uh, Chris Scott up in Mirror, but they had one down in High River, and it was in an actual train car that had been converted into a restaurant. Jane and I went there and, and had breakfast one time. Fantastic food, had a good time. But I mean, for somebody to buy into that sort of business means you're a heavy, heavy duty railway aficionado. You're into that thing. Good for you. That's right on. Don't transfer that love or obsession or whatever you might want to call it though, with trains into public policy. We can't afford it. Ontario's flirted with high-speed rail as well. You can look it up. All sorts of provinces have looked at it. Every time they study it, they say, no, it's, it's, it sounds cool, but it's just not economically feasible. And now, like I said, we're having it entrenched in the throne speech. That means it's a serious priority. It means it's one of the top things she wants to get done in this session. Something that was invisible in the throne speech was the pension plan that she floated out there that everybody's been talking about. Why aren't we keeping that in the spotlight? Why isn't that front and center? I think right now that's one of the bigger public relations issues you have to deal with rather than trying to sell us on a train. And I mean, it's no mistake that that classic Simpsons episode with the monorail showed as a con artist coming in trying to build a monorail that nobody need going nowhere because these are the sorts of projects that towns, cities, provinces, states, countries have been screwed over with for decades and centuries probably. So it's got to come to an end. Either way, I'll come to a close on that. Maybe I'll ask some of the people at the UCP AGM this weekend about what their thoughts are on that. And uh, hey, if you got thoughts on them, send them my way. So thank you guys all for tuning in today. WesternStandard.news to get all the stories and stuff unfiltered. Uh, watch all those channels to see the pipeline coming on. We're going to talk a bit more about a few more uh, issues and things going on. And uh, yes, tune in next week at this time, guys, and we'll do it all again with a whole new set of issues. Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long long ago these guys are on the front lines uh, helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in canada and more importantly educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people to become a member it's absolutely worth every penny